question for you to get started. Can you think of the name of the company that produces the content that you consume the most on the internet? For me, the answer is starting strength. Second question, can you think of another company or a brand that produces the highest quality content of all the content you consume? For me, that's starting strength. So I show my support by subscribing to the network. It's $8 a month. You can sign up at network.startingstrength.com. If you can afford it, if it's no big deal, if eight bucks a month is a lot of money, don't sweat it and just keep listening for free. Uh, speaking of the rich and the poor, if you're the former, you might be able to afford our gyms. But the good news is the first session's free. It's a free 30-minute coaching session. And if you mention this ad spot at any participating gym, you will get a free 30-minute coaching session. So those are our ads. We are sponsored by ourselves. On with the show. Mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right, today's guest is Dr. Joey Carter. Joey is an online client of Michael Jones, whom uh, you've seen on the podcast if you follow the show. We'll have Bree linked to his episode in case you want to see who he is before you listen to one of his clients. So Joey is out of Alabama, um, from Mississippi originally. You're a double doctor, Joey? Correct, that's yep. right. Yep, and uh, you, you've uh, got a doctorate in veterinary medicine, and a doctor, doctorate in medicine, and you're an, an orthopedist. Is that all right? That's correct. Sure is. Okay. So let's start off by talking about how lifting heavy weights destroys your joints, okay? T tell me more about that. Sure. <clears throat> um, well, there certainly is a lot of talk about that in the past. Um, I think as the literature has come around, initially it was – talking about running and marathons and that type of in uh, quote injury to your joints because of the pounding that was done. And I think the literature has started to show us that that's not the case, that um, the joints really do well with exercise and weight bearing activity. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to uh, compressing cartilage and putting weight loads on cartilage itself, it does help that cartilage as far as it responds to that and helps actually make it stronger and more vibrant. Um, you can certainly have traumatic injuries. Um, somebody um, is playing a sport and injures an ACL and you have a sudden impact on that cartilage, you can actually damage and kill that cartilage and lose and knock the cartilage off the end of the bone. And those traumatic type injuries are much different than a controlled weightlifting environment uh, like what we would be doing with starting strength. Yeah, Ripito says this all the time. <clears throat> uh, the stress recovery adaptation process 
does not just apply to your muscle mass. It applies to your entire human machine. And your entire human machine is regenerative. And when you're getting stronger, you're also producing denser bones, stronger connective tissue. You're improving the capability of your cartilage, the padding between your joints. The whole system responds to the stress, not just the muscle mass. So that sounds like that's your point of view as well. It is uh, 100%. I spend a lot of time educating my patients um, because uh, a lot of my patients at this time in my career are over 50. And especially when it comes to bone density and being an orthopedist, that you see the cause and effect of not having that bone strong enough to support you and or when you have an injury for example, walking, walking your dog and the leash wraps around your legs and you hit the ground and all of a sudden you've got a hip fracture that's going to change your life for the next three to six months. And if you're over 65, you're going to have a 25 to 30% mortality rate in the first year after having a hip fracture. Yeah. So it's not a small thing. And the older you get and things like that happen, um, that mortality rate can go up and the possibility that you're back in the hospital within a year is approaching 50%. So in my part of the medical profession, that's a, that's a daily talk, uh, an, an every appointment talk with anybody that's in that age group about things we can do medically to keep things stronger. We obviously in our day and age, everybody wants a pill, everybody wants a shot, everybody wants the easy way out. And, you know, that's not always the best, that's not the best way. The easy best way- Easy doesn't it, work. Easy has never worked in my life. And <laughs> that video that Michael sent of me, you know, doing a bench press and, you know, struggling all the way up with that weight to achieve that, you know, that kind of sums my life up. And, you know, and I think I'm much better for it. Oh, so now now you're a conspiracy theorist uh, spreading misinformation. You know, doctor, don't you realize that heavy bench presses will destroy your shoulders? What the hell are you thinking, man? <laughs> well, <clears throat> as <clears throat> Dr. Ripito so will put, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to lifting that weight, you need to do it correctly and you need to do it in the way that your joint is made to lift that weight. Yeah. And so I, that's why I think he has done such a good job. And his, the starting, his starting strength Bible is in my mind is just one of the best ways we have to understand how a lift can be performed and taken into account the soft tissue structures around it to allow those lifts to occur because the shoulder joint, it doesn't have a lot of bone restraint like your hip does or your knee does or your elbow does. It's not a, for example, it's not a two, uh, two degree of motion, you know, just, well, just flexion extension with the elbow. Sure. Um, a hinge joint. That shoulder, that shoulder can go just about anywhere. Hmm. And so there's a lot of soft tissue structure that supports it. And the way that you do that lift really makes a difference in how well you protect it as well as enabling you to get stronger with an efficient lift. Yeah. 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 It's pretty strange. It's, it'd be like, um, 
you know, the, the bad rap that weightlifting has, the, the way people approach it is, uh, they're like, okay, you know, I need to improve my physical situation. I'm going to go subject my body to the stress of heavy weights without having any idea how to lift them carefully. And then if I get hurt, I'm going to go around on the internet saying that deadlifts are bad for you. I mean, it, it almost be like someone deciding they want to get into self-defense, so they purchase a gun. And they go to the range and they're trying to clean the thing out. And they point it at themselves. They end up shooting themselves in the foot. They're like, oh, these guns are dangerous. It's like, well, you know, they can be, but lots and lots of people use them safely every day. And when it comes to things that are bad for your joints, that's a pretty counterintuitive situation because soccer is the most dangerous sport on earth in that sense. And weightlifting is on the opposite end of the spectrum, as counterintuitive as that might sound. So I, I, hear, I see you shaking your head there, I'd, I'd, uh, nodding rather. I'd love to hear your point of view as someone who's operating on these people. Well, well, with weightlifting, you're in a very controlled environment. And so you have the opportunity to engage that weight and put it through a range of motion that you have learned is appropriate and where it needs to be. When you're on the soccer field, when you're on the flag football field, okay, you're in control of your movements, but you're not in control of the surface that you're on. You're not in control of the people that are coming at you. And you don't know the, you don't know which way that person's going so that all of a sudden you're making a nanosecond direction change where you're moving in a different, at a different velocity with a different amount of stress applied to joints in a way that is that is not controlled. So um, now when when you do weight lift and you've got more muscle mass and strength to control those joints and control where you're going, intuitively it's gonna be a safer path to scoring a touchdown or scoring a goal. Um, so that you know, it's, there's a lot of different levels, as are many things in life, when it comes to this as well as to sport in general. And um, I, I will have to say that I lifted weights for a number of years, thinking that my high school football coach knew and taught the way that we should do those things. However, when I'm saying that, at my age of getting ready to be 62, the weight room we had for our football team did not have a squat rack. Okay. <laughs> it had a universal machine and it had free weights and we could, we could do presses and cleans, but we didn't have a coach to teach us. And our, and our team won the state football championship several different years. And our track team, you know, that I was on, we won state championship several years. So, you know, in spite of those things, we able to survive it. Could we have been, much better as a result of it oh yeah now that you know if only i knew then what i know now uh i think it would uh it'd be nice indeed so. yeah and you'd know better than to trust authority especially to, at a government high school <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i don't know how much they knew either you exactly. know when it or how much uh, they I, they uh they they were not aware of uh, and unaware of that fact too <laughs> no yeah. That's right. You don't know what you don't, don't know, know. What you don't know. Yep. That's right. Yep. And so, and, and in my field, and with medicine, and and any, and and even when it comes to strength training, the better educated you are with the correct people educating you and what you need to know, 
you know, the, the better chance you have at success and, and having good outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you said a bunch of interesting stuff in there. I'd like to respond to. So firstly, muscle as a protective mechanism is a concept that I never hear talked about, especially in the medical field. Um, which is not surprising because doctor, you and I are both aware of the state of medicine in the United States and, and, uh, across the world as a result, since we lead the charge. But, um, just as a personal example, when I was young, I was in a sledding accident and I had, uh, some, some kind of back injury that I never had addressed in my low back to the extent that I couldn't jump for several months. And I had a lot of pain walking and standing for a long time. And that issue plagued me for years and years and years and years. And, uh, the only thing that, that, uh, that made it better just, you know, basically gone. It does pop up here and there, but it's basically gone. Is adding a whole bunch of lean muscular body mass. And so that's at the base, that's at my tailbone, you know, the base of my spine. And then my, my thoracic, my mid spine, um, I had this, this issue where apparently my cartilage connecting my rib cage to my spine is loose or weak. I don't know what that condition is called. Do you know offhand, by the way? Um, there's, there can be inflammation there like costochondritis where you have an inflammation around where the cartilage and bone come together and you've got, you've got ligament and soft tissue around supporting and holding that together. And you can certainly get inflammation in that. Okay. Too. That, that yeah. might've been the issue then. And that probably was due to an autoimmune disease that I have Crohn's, um, or at least somehow sure. related systemic inflammation type stuff. But nonetheless, the result of that is, is whenever I would hit the deck, let's say I got swept in Muay Thai or I was, uh, I was thrown in jujitsu or whatever, I'd hit the, hit the mats and my ribs would pop out and it would, all the muscles in the area would guard and it would just be excruciating. And I had to get a real aggressive chiropractic adjustment to get those things put back into place. And the thing that fixed it, I mean, I'm going to spin around. Yeah. I've got a big wide back, a big wide muscular back. And, uh, just a few weeks ago, I had a spill on my one wheel and if Paul Horn's watching this, he's going to be cringing because the guy broke his shoulder in a one wheel and advises me not to ride one, which is wise, but I don't always make wise decisions. So nonetheless, I got this new thing. <laughs> I made an aggressive turn on a slick surface and I went flying yeah. and mm-hmm. just crashed. And I was waiting to hear pop, 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 just, you know, three, four ribs come out and I stand yeah. up and dust myself off and I'm good right. to go, you know, um, my knee, I've had, I've had surgery on my right knee. I'm going to need surgery on my left knee. I've got another meniscus tear from jujitsu. Um, I've, I've been able to get around fine. I was able to get around fine on the right one and just kind of delay the surgery because my knees are so strong. Same thing with my right. left one. Um, I've got severe issues in shoulders and elbows. And I, I'd hate to see an MRI of what my shoulder looks like. But I can tell you that I'm, I'm pretty certain the muscle mass is what's keeping the structure sort of in place and protected. That's my instinct and my own experience. I would love to hear your opinion on that as a professional. I, I, I think that <clears throat> the muscle strength and the volume that you've got around that joint, um, I think it, it has a protective effect because, um, well, you can judge for your own self. When you're much thinner and your muscle mass was much less, when it came to range of motion or you were pulling or tugging or wrestling with somebody, you probably had and could feel more joint pain and strain versus now when you've got that muscle mass around you and you pull something, you know what? It's solid. You don't, you don't feel like everything's pulling or tearing apart. And I think, I think that muscle mass around it, 
that muscle protects the ligaments and the things, the structures around that joint, uh, it helps keep where they're not strained so much because you're, you're not, you're, that muscle is not allowing that joint to get in that position and you're much better able to control it because of that. Um, and as far as your back is concerned, you've also got somewhat of a cushion effect now when you hit the ground yeah. because you've got a layer of tissue there that's much thicker and can resorb as opposed to it just hitting bone and um, causing a disruption at that at your rib junctions there. So You just mentioned another point that's controversial and I think is probably ass backwards in, in uh, pop culture's understanding of this stuff. So... A lot of people think that flexibility is um, some sort of a virtue. It's some sort of thing to be pursued. And and what you've just said is that your muscle mass prevents your joints from getting into a hyperextended dangerous position, which prevents injury, which has certainly been my experience. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, well, so, you know, I think to a certain degree, flexibility is genetic, all right, um, because certain people... And, and we all know them that, you know, the kid that was in your class that could take their leg and put it behind their head, okay? Or, or people that could do a split. Well, there's certain, there's certain of us that that's never been the case. And, um, and you can certainly stretch your muscles out to where you can somewhat achieve those things uh, to what advantage that is, certainly in fast twitch sports, you don't necessarily want that laxity there. You want to you want to have a tight forced contraction there when you're um, sprinting or jumping or those type of things. And I think there's literature to show that a lot of stretching beforehand kind of pre it, it kind of um, loosens that end point up to where you get an overstretch at times when you are stressing a muscle like that. Um, you know, when it when it comes to stretching, I, I'm I tend from with the literature that I've read, I tend to do uh, less stretching now than I would have in the past. And you know, and that's that's even with doing jujitsu and and that type of thing. Jujitsu stretches you out enough. You know, the positions that you're in, you get enough stretching there. I don't have to necessarily <laughs> pre-stretch to have that happen, especially at at my age no you're getting assisted so, stretching from your from your rolling partner for sure um and every exactly time you right. warm up doctor you're stretching right because because uh, right. i wonder what percentage of guys in their 60s can squat to depth um as easily as you can because you practice that range of motion and it's loaded absolutely you know and it's loaded absolutely. you got to control the range of motion and you're getting um some a serious stretch effect in that situation I, I that's and that's something that um that i certainly talk about in in a daily appointments that I have with folks when it comes to stretching, that dynamic active warm up is probably the best stretch that you can have as opposed to just standing and passively stretching as so many of us have done for so many in my generation have for so long. I, I'm, and, and I give credit learning and going through um, reading listening to Mark and what he's had to say and in his 40 years of experience in doing it. And as I have come on over the last six or seven years and began to understand more, it has certainly helped my practice 
and and understanding where he's coming from for that and then being in the starting strength program and trying to apply those things and see what happens with me as I progress through the novice and intermediate programs. It that's the way I like to learn. And that's the way that I enjoy learning uh, because I'm not only reading it and seeing what's out there, I'm also applying it. And when it happens here, as as Mark done through his career, you start knowing and understanding those foundational principles a lot better, I think. That sets you apart from a lot of people in your field. Um, you're still open-minded. You're still curious. You're still willing to learn. You're willing to learn from people that don't have the endorsement of the state and don't have a traditional degree because you're willing to examine the arguments based on their merits. And then you're willing to try things for yourself to determine if those arguments are actually true, which makes you an actual scientist as well as a doctor, which I, I applaud you for. But let, let me ask you this, doctor. Okay. On, on one hand, I'm impressed with rip and i'm pleased that he exists he's benefited my life in a bunch of ways we're not able to benefit th thousands of people's lives in, in positive ways with the gyms why is it that a power lifter strength coach academic i won't call him an academic let's call him an intellectual from uh from texas from north texas is the guy that's come up with this stuff in 2023 and why Where's the medical field? Where's where's uh, where's your industry in understanding this stuff and learning this stuff? And just just one last one last kind of comment on this while you're thinking about how to how to respond to it. Sometimes I think to myself that at every stage of um, humanity's development, we're probably pretty proud of how far we've come, and we're probably pretty arrogant about how much we know. And I just kind of think about the days when there was bloodletting um, and voodoo. And uh, just all these other things that I'm sure we were quite confident about, and and uh, that that was the approved narrative, that was um, conventional wisdom. Obviously, this is true. This is the way that it's done. And here we are with all this advanced technology, um, space travel, internet, everything else. And I don't know if we're that much further along. I don't know if we're as far along as we think we are, because this is basic, fundamental how to how to optimize your human machine stuff. And our medical apparatus is clueless about it. So I, I would just love to hear your reaction to that. <clears throat> well, well, there's there's different levels to that question. Um, I, from my perspective, and an IQ or intellectual basis, do I think you know? I don't think there's a lot of change in the last ten thousand years as far as man is concerned when it comes to IQ. All right, <laughs> uh, and and you can go back and see and what's been built and done in the past with the things that different civilizations have been able to do. Um, you know, in the book of Solomon in the Bible, you know, it's, you know, it, it talks a lot about how things, how time does and how things change. Um, and, but some things still always remain the same. Um, and I, I feel that way about man's inhumanity to man. Um, as well as the good that's out there too. Um, you see that all across civilizations and for people, and, and it's fairly arrogant to think that our civilization right now, when it comes to it and how um, a lot of people like to use the word advanced, <clears throat> um, it is advanced when it comes to technical know-how and it is advanced and as far as medicine goes with what we're able to do now and treat now 
it certainly has really advanced a lot. Um, man was his own, you know, we were our own problem when it comes to a lot of those advances because um, we didn't have a lot of the tools to do those things. But you also have man's ego that says, you know, I developed this and this is the way it is. And I don't necessarily want to change this way because <clears throat> what I've done, I want everybody to be able to see and understand and know that I am the man. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that's, that's where man gets into a problem with thinking that I'm God and man's always had that. And there's some of us that realize we're not God and we believe in a, <clears throat> you know, some people want to say intelligent design. Some of us are Christians. Some of us are in other faiths, realize there's something greater than me. And there is, there is something that we connect into on a spiritual basis. It's not of this world. It's also something out there different. And, you know, for me, I, I'm a Christian and, and have been. And in that perspective, for me, humbles me and it also helps me to understand that I am not God and things that I do and develop surely they've been developed before and I'm not necessarily the creator or origin of that there's a higher being that is mm. and so when it comes to looking at medicine and these advances and stuff that we do man is his own block a lot of times to those advances and and I think some of that has something to do with it. Sure. Um, but this is just me talking. No, no, that's that's a that's a, a fascinating perspective. The arrogance of man is uh, drives quite a bit of um, progress and issues in in our world. There's no doubt. Anyone that's under the delusion that there's not more to existence than what you can see and observe is just delusional. <laughs> I mean, that's it's right. just that's just the fact of the matter. You know, and interesting, yeah. we'll, we'll go off topic real quick here. I just th thought you might find this interesting. I was talking to um, Grant Skelton, one of our copywriters for the gyms. He said, you know, he's from Memphis. He goes, you know, I was, uh, I was really surprised. He started interviewing the franchise owners for newsletter announcements. He goes, I was really surprised at how many of your franchise owners and how, many of the, how much of the community is driven by faith and are Christians. He's like, do you know uh -huh. why that is? And I was like, huh. I was trying to think about it. I said, delayed gratification is my guess. I think these are people that are comfortable with delayed gratification. That's my that's what I think. <laughs> I'm willing to put in the work today for a benefit that they right. anticipate tomorrow, you know. I've watched a number of your podcasts and just like I try to prepare for um a surgical case that I'm going to do or uh trying to understand a principle and a disease process to make sure that I can understand it enough to diagnose it and treat it. Um you know, it <clears throat> Um, what you've said about um, how you wanted the company to develop and build and the type of people that you wanted in it. You wanted people that cared about other people and wanted to put other people first and that you wanted people that wanted to work hard and be able um, to listen and have empathy, but at the same time be able to instruct people on what they, they do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those principles are certainly within the Christian faith. Yep. And I think it really applies to the type model that that you're looking for. 
Uh, you're right. Um, you're right about that. The uh, so since moving to Idaho, uh, we're going to go off on a big tangent here, Doctor. I hope you don't mind. Hopefully, the audience doesn't lose. I'm us, fine but, uh, with it. I'm, um, I'm good. So I grew up in Southern California, um, uh-huh. where families are disintegrated. Um, right. Where degeneracy is uh, increasing as time goes on, including crime and all this other stuff. Um, where you know the the standard is being an atheist, and I I was a religious Jew as a kid, and then I I lost my faith, and because I never had it, I was just looking for the actual proof, and when I didn't find the proof, I I, I left the religion, and then went right. to the other extreme because it was it was kind of disappointed, and I'd, um you know I felt like I'd been been sold a lie kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. and then uh, moved here to Idaho, and I'm I'm just I I tend to look at results. I tend to look at results. What what is the outcome I'm trying to achieve? And then how how people get there, how I get there is kind of secondary. The objective is the main thing. So so what I mean by that is when I came out here, I just started meeting the most lovely, down-to-earth, friendly, loving, caring, kind people. Um, right. And they're all of faith. And it, right. uh, it's not a coincidence. You know, like James Johnson, perfect example on the podcast, Andy Barman. These are, there's a lot of Mormons around here. Um, and so my, my more mature view, I think, and I just discussed this with JD Shipley, who his LLC, by the way, out of Houston is called the barbell calling. Like he believes this is his mission in life to bring this to people. Um, I was speaking to him yesterday on the phone and I told him, cause we'd had conversations about God before. And I basically just said, Hey man, I believe in God now. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, I said, I don't know what that means, though. I don't actually know what that means. And he, and he, right. he basically agrees with me. I just said, you know, after yeah. seeing my wife get pregnant and her develop this life inside her body and then give oh. birth to my baby. Oh. Um, Absolutely. It's just, I, I, it, for me, God is uh, the thing that I don't understand, the thing that I cannot see. Um, and that is, that is separate from religion. But I, but I, I do yeah. find it yeah. um, comforting and settling to just uh, submit to the idea that I don't know what the fuck is going on. I have no mm-hmm. idea, you know, but, I, but I'm open to the idea that there's a lot going on that I'm not aware of and I'm just, I'm just open-minded at this point. And then that, that aside, um, as I mentioned, people that, that I find that uh, have God in their lives are basically God means optimism. That's kind of the way I've defined it. If you believe in God, you believe that things will be better in the future. And it's like, I want to be around optimistic people that have good family mm-hmm. values, um, that care about others. So, you know, just, just for the pure utility, we, uh, we're, we may, we may join a church. And I, I asked my Mormon buddies straight up. I was like, Hey, if I, you know, if I don't buy the religious stuff in the stories, will you guys accept me? He's like, yeah, I mean, that, that probably applies to most of us. <laughs> so, yeah. so I've, I've come, I've come, uh, to all different, you know, one end of the spectrum to the other to kind of right in the middle as I get older. Well, you know, um, I will, you know, that, that's certainly a, a journey that I, I'm, you know, I'm happy for you that you're, you're starting on because I can only, I can't really express to you the joy that it has given me in my life nice. and, and what it has added to me as a person, how it has taken the focus off of me and put it on other people. Yep. And, and be able to understand the things that, and share what other people are going through. Um, I, I will say that, that my faith helped me understand where I came from. Mm. 
where I'm going and I have a rock to lean on and knowing that what's coming ahead of me that I can be prepared for and that he will prepare me for that. Um, And that is where a lot of that stability come from. The other part of it is, is that, um, you know, and, and it, it is a whole nother discussion, but I just know that being in the field that I'm in, where science is God uh, for a lot of people. Um, I really felt that after two doctorates um, in veterinary medicine and in medicine um, and understanding and studying the whole process, not just on a, just not on a phenotypic level, but on a, on a molecular level, the, the, the smaller things get, the less randomization there is and how many things have to have to come together to form an order that you and I could just sit here in front of a computer and talk intelligently to one another about ideas that are creative in your own mind that you haven't really thought that you were going to talk about today. And all of a sudden you're going through a whole thought process on how that's going to occur. And you're going to come to conclusions about that that are not random yep. and that man has come before uh, it. That's a lot to think that it evolved from a single cell no or two cells to get that. I don't think there's enough time on earth or has occurred for all of that to take place mathematically. I know it doesn't for the human clotting cascade as an example. Yeah with the number of steps just to clot your blood, not in addition to every other scientific process, enzymatic process that's going on in your body. There's not enough time to get that randomized to succinct and not just one time, but over and over again in a single organism and the billions of organisms that are on the planet. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a, there's a, I would have to say, that folks that don't believe in God, frankly, have more faith than I do. <laughs> if they're certain there is no God, that that, that yeah. is an ideology. That's a religion. Yeah, I think yeah. I think certainty is a fallacy. And what you just articulated there is something uh, uh, an old Jewish scholar named Rambam um, kind of points out in a, in a very simple way. He says, "Look, if you take a bunch of paint and throw it on the canvas." the chances of a a perfect picture coming out are are relatively low. And don't get me wrong, that's not a, you know, case is settled argument and and unequivocal proof, but it it does indicate the true probabilities of the the situation that we're dealing with. So, yeah, um, yeah, this is a a topic that's been on my mind. Um, But I I do want to get back to your profession. And I was curious, um, what is your take on, on Ripito's volume versus intensity arguments. So we started this podcast talking about uh, running and right. that would be you know the highest volume, lowest intensity as compared to you doing heavy singles or heavy triples, which is you know low volume, high intensity. Um, right. can you can you tell me your experience and your education on that on that subject? What are the pros and cons of of both, please? Um. Well, there's, there's, 
there's certainly a middle ground where exercise in general and and studies will show that exercise 45 minutes five days a week will increase your cardiovascular benefit efficiency and protective effect as far as having a heart attack it also certainly inc that increase in blood flow helps with dementia better than just about any pill we've got that you can take so that extra blood flow there makes a big difference as far as just your brain effect goes but when you start expanding it out um you know i <clears throat> it depends on what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve um i did an iron man at age 52 in 2014 and that training process obviously involved a lot of miles and a lot of time and you know and i enjoy the process so uh it, there were certain certain benefits from that at the same time um the way that my body responded to that is definitely differently than and at that time uh i'm five foot eight um by the time i got ready to do that iron man which i trained for for about a year I, my weight was about 162. Um, at now, um, I did the novice program. I've done it several times simply because I did jujitsu along with it and really never got out of the novice program because I couldn't recover enough to be able to do anything else. And I was satisfied with that because the fellow that I was training with weighed 240 pounds. And when you're 165 versus now at 185, 190, it it really helps out. And so um, I think you achieve a lot of effects from hip, from the lifting hormonally, as well as um, the uh, ability and how it changes um, your insulin resistance and some of those biomechanical or biochemical methods of helping with um, your health. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely say that in my profession, um, for example, um, I had two people that I uh, did total joints on this past week. One fellow was 6'5 and 360, another fellow was 6'1 and 300. You know, the Joey Carter that's 185 to 90 pounds that's been lifting compared to the Joey Carter that was riding a bike 100 miles on a weekend. Um, that process was made a lot easier and a lot more efficient by 30 pounds of muscle, 25 to 30 pounds of muscle mass. Um, let's just, let's just stop there for a sec. So I just want to confirm. Heavier and stronger equals better cardio performance. Is that right? Um, it's not better. It's that would not that would not be better Ironman performance. Sure. Unless unless you know, you know, I would. That's the extreme would, end of the spectrum. Yeah. It's both both extremes end of the spectrum, and you still can achieve both of those goals. Um, I there are there are when when it comes to long-term 
long distance, um, high in, you know, the high, the intensity training where that cardiac, that heart rate is up at a really high level uh, for long periods of time, you know, there's a tendency to build up some inflammation there. Mm. And I've, I've had other physicians that have had um, some le- electrical problems as far as their heart goes and other things. Um, when you start training in that, in that mode and that frame of mind for a long period of time. Yep. Uh, so, um, but at the same time, when it comes to lifting it, it's a, you know, it, there's more of an anaerobic process to it in those, in those lifts. It's not the long, slow distance mm-hmm. like you would get with long distance training. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to doing short and intermediate activities, just with the lifting, yeah, it helps out a lot. Yep. That's where you can, you know, and it all depends on what you want to do. If, if there are things you need, you, you need to have a little more cardio to go with it, then, yeah, you can back off that, you know, want to max lift and come up and add some aerobic conditioning to it. But at the same time, it all depends on the distance and how long you want to perform it. Yep. Uh, I would love I to know see that's your... a lot. No, no, that, there, that, that, but... that's helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I want to see your before and after photos, by the way. Hopefully you can send those to Bree so we can throw them up on the screen. Because for the people listening to this and not watching it, um, Joey has a thick neck, thick shoulders, thick traps, thick chest. He's got his shirt buttoned down to the second button, not because he's Australian, but because he's got to fit his neck in that thing. So you look great, man. Um, you've got a, you've got a, uh, you know, you've got a, a presence about you. Um, and to have a presence like that, um, in your sixties is pretty cool. So what, what was that like? How, how, how did that all go down? And I want to hear about your, your journey and your, your PRs and the whole, the whole nine. Well, um, I was looking back in my training log, and in two, about 2015, I, um, I had decided that I wanted, I was wanted to get stronger, and um, and so I looked and and came online, and there was there was a process at that time that was three sets of five that I don't think that another company had started up, and I think got from, you know, Mark, and so. Um, I started that out, but that led me into seeing the blue book for the first time. And I got the blue book. And once I started reading that, I pretty much read it through cover to cover within a week and realized this is, this is exactly what I've been trying to understand and what I wanted to know. And so then I just did the novice program myself and I would run the novice program, um, initially and got to a point where I was lifting heavy enough that I couldn't really recover to work out three days a week. So I just stretched it out where I would work out really heavy two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, Michael Jones quickly, you know, when he heard that is like, well, you're not going to gain anything doing that. You, yeah. We've got to change what we're doing. And, and he's right. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't know then. And so, but then jujitsu kind of came in, to be in. And so I really, um, uh, did you did, you did jujitsu two to three days a week for about three to four years. Um, and 
it really supplemented and and I know the, that jujitsu is for the little guy and he can beat the big guy, but I'm going to tell you, the big guy with jujitsu is going to going to have a better opportunity beating a big guy with jujitsu than a small guy. That's right. And, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is, and so. Um, it really helped out a lot. And I enjoyed jujitsu a lot more when I had gained an, an additional 20 pounds. Um, and I hit the ground a whole lot easier. Yeah. And that, cause we did a lot of, my partner and I did a lot of throws and he knew some, his, the person who had trained him did a lot of judo. So we did some judo throws and stuff. And you know, when you're in your late fifties, that's not quite, you don't bounce quite as much as you did when you were 20. So it, it all did, it all helped out, but eventually, um, with jujitsu, I, um, transitioned, uh, the person I worked out with a lot, couldn't do it anymore. And so I went and joined a gym and it's a real young, um, bunch of guys that are hardcore getting after it and they are performing really well on the national scene when it comes to jujitsu. And when you have 10 grandchildren and you're 60 and you're also trying to uh, run a full-time orthopedic practice, um, you, you don't need to get hurt. No. And that's gonna, and so in this group, uh, I found that I was starting to treat injuries there that were more than I knew I needed to have. And if I continue with this group, because you never want to be the guy that's slowing everybody down. Yeah. You want to be one that's helping push everybody. Uh -huh. So that particular gym was just, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the right place for somebody at my age and time. So, so I pulled out of that and then started um, pursuing um, starting street the novice program and got to the end of it. And then Michael Jones put an ad, uh, put it on the website that he was doing a conference uh, seminar in um, Mobile, Alabama, mm. which is right close to where we were. And I went and met Michael and uh, we went through that camp and then I signed on with him and we started the process of transitioning me from being a novice to an intermediate. And we had to go through two different programs before we've gotten on to the one now that really is kind of sinking in and, um, and is helping me grow with that and been real pleased with it and with Michael and how he's helped me and, and helped me keep the form creep out of what the list that I do. You're smarter than I am. Um, so my, my jujitsu story is, uh, I, at 19, I got my, my shoulder injured. I was in a Kimura. So in the gi, you can't really tell how, how, uh, how yeah. thick someone is, right? I was six foot two. So they put me with these athletic monsters and this guy about ripped my damn arm off. And even today, my, I've got a shoulder height discrepancy because of that injury injury and my range of motion yeah. reaching back behind me is limited. So I, I stayed out of jujitsu for years and years and years, got a bunch stronger, um, hurt my neck in jujitsu. And that was just pure, mm -hmm. uh, uh, bullheadedness, you know, I, I, uh, had my neck in a bad position, but it was so strong. I wasn't worried about it, but it also had a uh -huh. previous injury. So I got a neck crank and then, um, had to get surgery to get that fixed up. And then, uh, just a few weeks back, I'm, I'm easing my way back in. I was doing a private down here in my basement with, uh, one of the instructors from the local gym and man, I got my, uh, he, he 
he turned my leg just a little bit to get me to roll. It wasn't a submission, but my knee was already so compromised that it popped out of place and tore my meniscus. And I've got a bucket handle tear and the thing gets caught at the bottom. Just same injury I had on the right knee from Muay Thai. Um, so now, so now, you know, I didn't do what you did and, and, uh, <laughs> I didn't approach that correctly. And I've got another orthopedic injury. I'm going to have to have another surgery here. And man, I, I applaud you for doing what you're doing and doing it intelligently. Cause I'm 38 and I'm retired. I'm now done with martial arts. Cause I just, I can't afford to get hurt anymore. And I'm, I'm just not wise enough to, um, to pull in the reins when they need to be pulled in, you know? Um, I understand it because yeah. jujitsu, there's nothing like it. And it, you know, I, thoroughly enjoyed it yeah. and and love rolling and training and the good thing for me is is that i've got five young grandsons that they're still small enough that i can get in and wrestle with and play with and put some form and have a chance to teach them things too as well as just having a good time so until they get to be too big i'm i'm gonna be fine Hell yeah <laughs> awesome if Brent Carter is listening to this, by the way, uh, he's just thinking to himself, Ray, I told you so, man. Years ago, I told you. <laughs> um, doctor, can you fill us in on your PRs? What 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 uh, numbers have you hit on your lifts? Uh, well, um, so uh, I, I'll, I'll just preface that by saying I had, and, and this will be good too, I I had a inguinal hernia that I had repaired um, the last week of December. Um, and as, and I thought, well, that's just going to put me back a pretty good bit. Um, as it turned out and talking with the general surgeon that did it, he's like, Joey, you can start back and you just progress as you see fit for better or worse. And, uh, but if it's hurt, you just got to back off. Well, I had that surgery within, I was back lifting within 12 days to two weeks, I started out light, but then progressed right on back up that by, by four weeks to five weeks, I was pretty much back where four weeks, I was back where I was before I had the surgery. Um, And because that mesh just comes in and gets in there and protects it and you can push against it, but it's on that inside wall and it actually helps seat it better. And um, I really didn't have so that that came around quicker than before than I expected. Um, I also recently had <clears throat> um, some type of respiratory slash, you know, RSV or COVID where I had a lot of coughing going on and actually pulled a muscle in my um, in my back from coughing. And I thought, well, if I'm going to injure my back, it's going to be from deadlifts but it wasn't that at all. And that I got um, a radiculitis, which is inflammation of the nerve at S1. It goes all the way down to the back of my foot. Um, and I'm like, bad enough that I could not squat, could not deadlift, um, and really couldn't do anything for about two to three weeks. And so we just waited it out and then started what I could do, I did do. Mm-hmm. And then started out just squatting three quarter squat, and then gradually was able to bring that on down. And so um, it's been, uh, and I've never had anything really like that in the past. I've never really had any back problems per se. Um, and that being said, now I'm back. I'm you know back to working out 
um, squat wise, we're up, I think today I'm supposed to do three sets of five of 205 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to PRs um, recently, I pressed, um, I military pressed 160. Um, I've, the last time that I did a regular um, press like um, we do in the book, it'd be about 170. Nice. Um, bench press, um, I'm at, um, I did a two second pause press uh, day before yesterday that was 250. Nice. I've done two, 270s the most that I've bench pressed. Yeah. Um, deadlift wise, you know, that squat wise, I think um, it's been about four months since I did that it's three um i think i'm at about 335 something like that okay. at that time mm -hmm. and um then deadlift was 365 so and i'm anticipating those going up <laughs> well there you have it friends you've just uh, gotten a doctor endorsement and an orthopedist endorsement at that of uh yeah. lifting heavy weights in your 60s you know Bench in mid twos, deadlift in mid threes. Um, hell yeah, that kicks ass. We're we're working at. I really like the program we're doing now, and it and uh and I'm enjoying it, and I look forward to it. Um, I know I, it's doing something good for me. Um, it it certainly um, helped, you know. And I, and this is another point that you hear Mark talk about, and that is don't coach your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, of course, Rips right again. Of, you know, my, my wife comes up and we've got all these grandkids and she's toting them everywhere. And, you know, she, she'll go out, she rides her bike, 25 miles, a fat tire bike, 25, 20, 25 miles, three or four days a week. I mean, Michelle likes to stay in shape, but her back was giving her trouble. And I'm like, honey, my back's, you know, every time I would do a whole lot of heavy stuff, my back would bother me a little bit. I said, but since I've been lifting, I hadn't had any trouble. I was like, let's get you out here and let's get your back strong and let's just see what happens. And she went out and lifted basic lifts and did it for about four months before she said, I'm good. Mm. Well, in that time, her back pain went away. What do you know? And and she did, she did not have any more back pain and still toting and pulling the kids around. And she looked at me and she goes, this is a lot easier. Yeah. And so I will say every day in my practice, um, I am doing my best to push people. And it doesn't matter what age, you know, for a lot of my 70 and 80 year old ladies, I just simply have them squatting out of a chair. Yeah. You get home, you're not, she's not going to go to the gym. She's not going to go somewhere else. She's going to do what she can at home. Mm -hmm. Well, you, whatever we, you know, I talk about how important it is to have strength so you don't fall so that, so that you keep your balance so that you can do your activities of daily living. And what so I see in my practice, head, right? Exactly. Yeah. And what I see is that it carries over what you do in your seventies carries over into your eighties. And the folks that I have in my practice that are independent and I'm saying they're independent. They're living at home by themselves, taking care of what they do. The majority, a lot of those folks had some form of exercise 
that they performed during their previous decades, and they're still very active. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it just makes a big difference. And the sooner you start that, the better chance you are, you have of keeping that muscle mass through those later decades. And therefore, your better opportunity to be independent in your household without needing your kids or grandkids or other folks assisting you in what you do. And in my boomer generation, it's a very independent generation. They want to do things for themselves. They don't want anybody coming in and having to do something for them. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the best ways I can help them do that. And in addition to, you know, long-term reconstructive things like total hips and total knees, which helps keep them independent because they have, they're able to perform their activities of daily living so much easier. Yeah. Um, well, so that's something that occurs every day in this practice. And I encourage people that are going to do total joints, get in the gym. You know, if you can't, if you can't make yourself socially go into the gym, then go find, get an exercise bike, get something and get active and moving beforehand because the stronger you are before you have that joint replacement, the quicker you're going to be able to recover and get back to doing the things you want to do. Yep. A little prehab, uh, true prehab, right? True prehab yeah. is just really critical for whatever it is that you're, you're going to get done. I, that's been my experience surgically as well. Um, yeah, I see why you get along with Michael Jones so well. You're both doing, uh, I guess we could call it God's work. You know, you both, uh, <laughs> you both thrive on helping other people and, and, and living and performing your duties in service of others, which is a beautiful thing. Um, so I wanted to mention to you one quick anecdote along those lines. And then I had one final question for you. Um, my nanny is 70 and she's a cancer survivor. So she looks after yeah. our four month old daughter. And our daughter's 15 pounds now. So mm -hmm. the seven-year-old gal who went through chemo, which is, you know, the most catabolic thing you could do, just Absolutely. destroys muscle mass, destroys bone density. The poor girl could hardly see or hear after she was done. Um, mm -hmm. She's wobbly, man, you know? And, and, and um, she's a lovely lady who I want to have a long, healthy life regardless. And then selfishly, she's caring for my daughter. I don't want her to fall and drop my daughter, you know? So... No. You know as well as I do that you can't push things on people. So I just simply let her know what we do, and I showed her a video. And um, she was she was terrified. She was afraid she was going to embarrass herself, but she came down to the gym. And she's been doing it a month now. And she says, I can go up and down the stairs without holding on to the handrail. And uh, That's such a win. Yeah. That is such a win. And and that's something that, I, that you know, that, that brings joy for me. Because when you can have people that you care about and know be able to do those type of things, because she said exactly right. She's afraid. Yeah. She's got fear. And you're helping alleviate that fear through what you're doing. And, you know, I, I consider that part of the calling that God's given me. And, you know, when you do things and reach out to people like that, that's where caring and love come into play and if there if there is a cure for what ails our country right now it and the world for that matter um you know love 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. And if you're not and, a religious person, let me translate that to um, just emanate love and optimism and positivity, because what's the alternative? Fuck, you know? Exactly. Um, and and uh, and then, you know, learn how to give love, learn how to receive love. And that, that cures a lot of psychological issues, and that would solve a lot of societal issues too, wouldn't it? Um, yes, sir, it would. So, so doctor, I, uh, I'm going to do a case study on her. Her name's Lucy. So you'll see that coming out on the, on the YouTube channel here in a few months. Um, because she That's thanked great. me. I mean, she was getting emotional and she thanked me. I said, Hey, I appreciate that, but give me a few uh, months. I'm going to change your life. <laughs> it's, it's, that's right. You're yeah. opening the world back up. Yeah. It, try to tell people that's what I'm trying to help you do is go from that world that's gotten really small to a world that's much bigger because you can do so many other things because of your because of whatever it is we've done to try to help you get stronger and agile and able to do those things. And just one last point on that, the, the way I articulated to her during our interview was I said, look, you know, you've got this uh, momentum upward as you age from being a young child and then at a certain point you hit your peak and then it's a slow decline. And then if you have right. something like chemo, that's a rapid decline. And guess what? You continue the slow decline from that depressed point. So what I'm telling you as a 70-year-old is I can actually get you back on the incline at 70 years old. Um, and that's just not something enough people are aware of. And, and I hope that we can um, spread that message clearly so people understand, you know, you may feel like shit. You may feel like things are getting worse and there's no hope in sight. But back to the point of optimism there's reason right. to be optimistic because there are solutions. And actually that that's a good segue into the last question that I had for you because I want to respect your time. Um, yeah. So give give our audience your um, practical experience and your theoretical understanding of how to repair or improve soft tissue with a non-surgical intervention. And specifically what I'm referring to are things like so let's say the collagen synthesis effects of testosterone, uh, maybe uh, testosterone analogs like Anivar, um, maybe things like DECA, uh, BPC-157, a popular peptide that's being used, um, stem cells, you know, placental stem cells and things, uh, platelet-rich plasma. Um, what Can you demystify some of this stuff for us? Can you tell us what's hype and nonsense and what's worth paying attention to? What's your, what's your clinical point of view? Well, so there's, there was a recent, um, in the American Academy of Orthopedics, um, stem cell research and PRP, for example, have really been in the literature a lot. Um, and so when a lot of these new things come out, um, the use of them in my in the last 25 years that I've seen, the use of them um, usually is a ahead of the research coming in behind it. <clears throat> and as the research catches up, and obviously we're talking about peer-reviewed research that um, um, is good quality studies. Um, at this point, when it when it comes to specifically um, uh, PRP and uh, stem cell, um, I think there are some there are some areas that it can make improvement. 
have we seen the dramatic, you know, life altering changes with it, so to speak? No. Um, when it comes to chronic tendonitis and tendinopathies and things like that, um, intuitively it makes sense. And there are there is some low level evidence that suggests that um, PRP and those kind of things can help those um, type situations. Example, uh, chronic um, patellar tendonitis um, or insertion or, you know, Achilles tendinosis within the tendon itself. Um, but when it comes to saying that it's going to be able to do um, um, a lot, we're still not, we're still not there as far as specifically saying it'll help this every time. Mm -hmm. um, okay. It, it, it's going to help a percentage of the time, but what you've got to compare it to, is it going to help, help this compared to another um, treatment that you might use? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's catching up. And I think there, as, as the years go on, there's, you know, in the next few years, we're going to have more that says, yes, you ought to use PRP to do this, mm. or you ought to use stem cells to do that. But there's just stem cells. There's just a lot there when mm. it comes to that. That's that cell and getting it into the studies that put it in a narrow enough spectrum to be able to say it's making the difference you want it to make here. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm. Okay. Yep. So, um, that's, um, we use, we use PRP in our practice, um, for those specific things and in some other ways too. But at the same time, you really, you wait on that peer reviewed, randomized, double blind control study, which are not cheap to do, but you sure like to see those studies coming in saying, oh yeah, we've got this and here it is. Yep. Um, those kind of studies really make the difference. I wish case reports were, you know, at times, because you can certainly get great case reports with a lot of these things. Um, but there's just, there's still a lot of work to do in defining exactly where those products are going to be best used. Yep. Um, you know, and so, um, and, and we'll see. Yep. Um, yep. But we're all very hopeful, and we see a lot of potential there. It's just getting the, getting a hold, in my mind, getting a hold of what it's going to be the best for, and is going to be reproducible when you do it. Because it's not cheap, and your insurance company's not going to pay for it at this time. And you know, and the way things are now, they may not. Yep. Uh, so when you're wanting to give good value to what you're trying to do, you know, you, you want to be able to have this behind you to say, this is what we were able to do. Yep. Um, so I think that's probably the best way I could put that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, you're, you're in the business of, uh, of doing things that are proven and repeatable and you, you're not exactly, uh, there to experiment on people. So, uh, you need a high, you need a high standard of evidence before you can start implementing things in your practice. Well, and so, you know, and if it's part of a research study, then that's what that is about. Sure. And, um, you know, and at, at my level as a 
general orthopedist in a medium-sized town or area, um, that's that's what I do is I, I just wait and watch. And we have people that come in quite frequently, well, I want this. Well, yeah, we can do that, but let's discuss the risks, the benefits, what we do know. And if that's something that you still want to proceed with, well, you're going to have an informed consent to know that we're going to do it. And if we get really good results, well, we take note of that. That sounds uh, awfully reasonable. <laughs> I'm not used to that. It's awfully reasonable. Uh, yeah. Um, well, doctor, this has been a great conversation. I, uh, I could easily go another hour. There's so many other things I want to talk to you about. Let's get some feedback from the audience. And then if you had a good time and they want more, we'll, we'll schedule round two. Um, okay. What, uh, if people want to get in touch with you or are you in social media, do you want to get contacted? Uh, feel free to, to plug anything if you'd like to. Um, well, <clears throat> I, I'm not necessarily somebody who's just wanting to be out there front and center when it comes if comes to those type of things. Um, I can, um, you know, um, I, I guess I would just kind of leave it at that. I, I, I'm on Instagram, but I don't have that many followers on it. I'm, social media. Yeah, I'm still a boomer in that sense. <laughs> um, I do have an Instagram account. You can ask my kids, you know, you're I not an attention seeking millennial, huh? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. All um, right, everyone. So just leave, no. leave, uh, leave Dr. Carter alone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's not that either. Um, yeah. Um, and you know, I, my, yeah, I have an Instagram account and a Facebook account, but they're, they're not, um, it's, you know, it, when it comes to being a physician and being on social media like that, in my mind, you have to be real careful. Yeah. Um, because when it comes to the things that you're talking about, um, you know, uh, you don't, you want to make sure if you just talking about certain things off the cuff, people, people will fly with that and yeah. will, you know, and I wish common sense was always common. Yep. Um, and so you don't, the last, you know, I've all, I was even, I was taught in veterinary school from the beginning above all else do no harm. Yep. And so that's, that's something that has been a mantra through. And I, the things I want to do, I want my best to be um, positive and to have, you know, the best outcome we have can have in spite of the place where you start. Yeah. Uh, and so in that case, I'm a person who, um, if I'm going to talk to you and discuss and give advice, I want you to know me and where I come from, mm. how I think about things. And if you don't know me, some of the things that I might say, um, you're not understanding it like I would want to be understood. At the same time, when I'm talking to you, I've got to understand you and what level we need to talk about these things that you can understand and apply. Because if I talk up here, well, what good is that? Sure. Um, and and then it leaves a whole lot of questions. And 
I'm here to try my best to answer your questions. And if I don't know, I want to find somebody who can, that can explain it to you in a way that is usable and you can understand it. In the age of uh, performing, you know, sex change operations on children and, and giving puberty blockers and things, the first do no harm deal I thought was, uh, was out the window. Um, but I'll, I, let, let's actually just leave it at that because I see you shaking your yeah. head and, and that, I think we'll, we'll go on a whole nother tangent. But um, doctor, yeah. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad yeah. you do what you do. And just lastly, for anyone in Alabama, um, what's the name of your practice in case they want to come see you? Uh, it's Gulf Orthopedics um, and we're in Fairhope, Alabama. We've got, um, we're basically in um, uh, the Mobile and Baldwin County areas and around that, which is, on the southern tip, near or close to Gulf Shores, Alabama, is a place that a lot of people will know because of the beaches. Um, we're uh, we're down in that in that part of Alabama, and uh, it's actually Baldwin County is one of the fastest growing counties in the country right now. I believe it, and has been for the last few years. People are so. trying to find some sanity and some uh, lower population density. You know. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. A lot of folks. <laughs> well. A lot of folks from up north are coming and finding out that the South's a pretty good place to be. Good salt of the earth people, man. Some good food, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, doctor, thank you again for your time today. I appreciate you coming on to educate me and the audience and uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Yes, sir, Ray. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care.